the Sunday Sermons Podcast. It's no secret that I love movies and I love stories and I love how God works through the arts to convey truth. Sometimes when people don't even mean to do so, I love that. One of my favorite movies of all time is Brian De Palma's classic, The Untouchables. It's got Kevin Costner, Sean Connery, Andy Garcia, a bunch of other people in it. Anybody remember this one? It's a violent movie. It's got some stuff in it I don't agree with, but there's so much I do. It's all about teamwork. It's all about doing whatever it takes to establish justice or reestablish justice. It's all about people working together to accomplish a goal no matter the cost. Sean Connery's question that he keeps asking throughout the whole thing resonates in my head, in my heart, literally every day of my life. He keeps asking, what are you prepared to do? And I believe whether they meant that to be a message from God or not, I don't believe they did. That is the attitude we should all have toward anything that we believe. If we believe it's real, if we believe it's true, what are you prepared to do about it? If you've seen this movie, you also know what I'm talking about. This is just a, a, a brief aside, but I think it'll matter. There's a scene in there near the end called the stair scene. And in this, it's a shootout. Somehow a mom and her baby wander in. The baby is rolling down the stairs in a carriage in between all the bullets firing. It's one of the most tense things. And it ends with one simple word, two. And when they say that one word, you're just like, ah. And out of context, that line, two, just means nothing. It's, it's nothing. But if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm saying. It's one of my favorite lines in any movie ever, two. I guess only five other people saw the movie, but it meant a lot to me. Here's my prayer. This is why I wanted to share that with you this morning. Besides the themes that, that, that resonates in my heart, this series that we're starting today is really short. It's four weeks in a row, uh, but this is so crucial. And at the end of it, I hope and pray that we'll all be able to look at each other and say three. And it's going to actually completely reframe how we see everything we do. This is all about a a new way to see. It's not really a new way, but a a refocusing on a way to see the world God's way. Let's start here. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning with verse 9, says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone could be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. This this verse is all about friendship and human relationships, but it's so much more than that. Because God has embedded threes everywhere throughout the scriptures and also throughout creation. We could go on and on in the next several weeks. I'll highlight some of those. But let me just throw you out a couple really quickly. The way we interact with all time and space is in threes. We live in the present, but we, we are influenced by the past and what we're hoping for in the future. Am I right? We move around in three dimensions, uh, length and width and height. I got those backwards with my hands, but work with me. Uh, You you, you know that a three-legged stool has to have at least three legs. Uh, Just two, it's not going to work, right? Uh, Every kind of matter is three kinds. It's solid, liquid, or gas. And most, most of them can be all three. Almost all of them can be all three depending on the temperature. 
Uh, Aristotle, it wasn't the first preacher, by the way. It was Aristotle who came up with the idea that people uh, remember things better if you put them in groups of three. Because it's such a cliche, sometimes I, I try to avoid that, actually. But today, I'm owning it hard. We've got three main ideas today, okay? But all of this points back to God himself, God's triune nature. He's a trinity. There's three in one. It points to his character. And it points to, to this, what we're talking about today, one of his most fundamental strategies. This is how all the relationships that he created work. This is how healthy relationships work, as an inseparable group of three strands. So here's what we're aiming for in this series. We're going to learn how to live with humility and courage and clear intention in three specific circles. You'll understand what that means in a second, but first, let's start here. Let's just say this out loud together. We will live with humility. Would you say that? Own it. Here we go. We will live with humility. Here's what that means. That means that in our relationship to God and our relationship to others, two of the three directions that everything always has to go, we will live with humility. We will submit to God's design. We will admit that he is the designer and that in every relationship that we have, we have to do it his way to the best of our ability. And also we're going to understand that it's always part of his plan, just like what always hangs behind me as I share these messages with you. Every single time, it's always his plan that we show our love to him by loving others. That's, that's it. If you haven't figured it out, this is the three. There's God, there's you, there's others. That's a healthy relationship every single time. Let's unpack this just a little bit. There's going to be some graphics up here. I hope this will make, make sense. We're going to kind of go through this several times, but I hope this makes sense today. I hope we can just kind of really start getting our heads and our hearts around this. I'm, again, I, I'm sure you've heard some of this before, if not all of this before, but if this is the way we saw the world, it would change how we do a lot of things we do, and I think we need to. So here we go. First, one of the biggest mistakes that Christians make is we try to separate those circles. Here's me, there's God, and there's others. And, and I'll, I'll do stuff with God. I'll submit to God as much as possible. But if he really starts cramping my style, I might push back a little. I'm going to reach out and love to other people. I'm going to try and serve people. But if it starts costing me too much... I might push back a little. Does this sound familiar? Super, super common mistake. It's not how God set it up. Another very common mistake is we, as God's people, we assume that we are doing it right. We are, I don't know the most popular metaphor today, we're killing it, we're winning, we're we're nailing it, we're batting a thousand, we're getting an A. I, I don't know what we'd say, but we think we're doing great if there's a clear separation between us and the world. We interact with them as little as possible. And how we act and how we talk and what we do is completely different. And everybody can tell that we're not like them. The Pharisees and the Sadducees in the New Testament were really good at this. But this is a very common mistake. We, we get two of the circles connected, but we're really disconnected, completely disconnected from the third. That's not God's plan. Even in the Bible, when it seems like that God's plan, it's really not when you really understand what's going on. For example, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. God's speaking to his people, and he says, You must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. 
I have set you apart from all other people to be my very own. And over and over throughout the Old Testament and quoted in the New Testament, you hear this line, be holy, for I am holy. But the core meaning of the word holy does not necessarily mean clean and pure. It's, it means that because that's how God is. And we are God's people and he is the one who set us apart. But the core meaning of the word holy is set apart for a specific purpose. Kind of like your grandmother's china that you keep around, you only eat on at Christmas time. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's set aside for a very specific purpose. And that is God's dream for us. He has set us apart to do something with him. This becomes clearer in many other verses. For example, again, Old Testament, Exodus 19.6. He says, you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. That doesn't mean we're going to walk around those little backwards collars or robes. It doesn't mean anything like what we think of of a a priest today. What it means is we're supposed to be the liaisons between God and all the people who don't know God yet. People should be able to find God through us. We are set apart for that purpose. This is the message, he says, you must give to the people of Israel. Why is this so hard? Why do we like to rip those circles apart? Why do we like to separate them? Because this is scary. To interact that intimately with God or any other person, whether we agree with them about several things or not, is a scary thing. Which leads us to the next statement I need you to say out loud with me this morning. Let's say it together. We will live with courage. We will trust God. We will obey. We will embrace this three idea. This triple braided cord, this cord of three strands way of looking at all of life and all relationships. It's clearer even in the New Testament. For example, James chapter 1 verse 27 says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Let's go backwards in this. The third one is, is really clear. Refusing to let the world corrupt you. Is that important? Yes, you bet it is. But we can't just not let the world corrupt us. Uh, Caring for orphans and widows in their distress, is that important? You bet it is. Some people do that, even that don't even claim to follow God, but they get the job done, thank God. It's a good thing to do. But is there more? Yes. And where do we get the idea of what's most important about what is pure and faultless religion? It's what God says. Whatever is right in the sight of God the Father. That arrow that points up. All three circles have to always be connected. They can't be separated. You're starting to see this pattern? It's clear if you just see it with open eyes. But again, we are so much more comfortable when we separate the church and others. It's not that we think it's the right thing to do. It's just the easy thing to do. And that is so dangerous. As a quote we actually used last week, Francis Chan asked, if God said yes to everything you pray, would you be really comfortable or a lot more like Jesus? Every time we pray, I think we should ask ourselves a question like that. I don't think it's wrong to ask God for anything that you want. He loves to hear you talk to him. There's a good chance he's going to say yes just because he loves you. But he's going to say yes to the things that are his will. And one thing that's always his will is that you become a lot more like Jesus. 
And a lot of times when he says no, even if we don't understand, it's because whatever he said no about is going to help you become more like Jesus. And that hurts. And that's scary. And that's freaky. That's why we like to separate these circles so much. Sometimes we do that just on a very personal level. The you and me, we leave God out of it entirely. And I just want to hide over here and keep you at a distance because I don't want to fight you, but I also don't want you to hurt me. And it's just too complicated if we really start getting to know each other well and we start trying to work some things out. It's just too hard. Again, what we used last week, this is building on everything we did last this last series about listening to the Spirit, but now this is where I really believe the Spirit is taking us next. But again, C.S. Lewis's words are so wise. He said, love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. We cannot afford to even separate two of these circles. All three have to be connected, braided at all times. Because living things grow, and growth only happens when you and I interact across these boundaries. We, growth only happens when you and others interact. In Proverbs 27, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. Some translations say man, that's because the word man actually means mankind. You, man, a T. And not humanity like the big sea cow things. I mean like people, men and women, everybody, okay? Uh, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And that sounds really nice and really touching until you've ever tried to sharpen something with iron. Have you ever tried it? Sparks fly. Makes a really terrible noise. It's a little dangerous. It's a little scary. And that's exactly what it's like when a friend sharpens another right? It's hard. There's friction. Sparks fly. But it has to happen. That's the only way there's ever any growth. And the same is when we interact with God. Growth only happens when we interact with God. If we keep him separate, no matter what we understand or believe about him, if we're right about everything, but we don't actually interact with him, There's never going to be any growth. There's never going to be any relationship. There's never going to be anything that truly matters. Here's another really scary one. Sometimes God interacts with others without us in the mix at all. Have you ever experienced that? And sometimes that's scary because we see God moving among people that we're looking at our Bible and we're going, they're wrong about that. Why is God talking to them? How could that possibly be the Spirit of God? Because I know for a fact they believe this and this and this and this. How dare God interact with them? Right? Or or especially people that aren't believers at all. But how many of you guys that are believers were born a believer? You started out a non-believer, right? 
God spoke to you before you gave everything to him. If you realize this morning, if the Spirit is convicting you, maybe I haven't given him 100% lately. Is he still speaking to you? Is that his Spirit inside of your heart convicting you? Yes. Can God speak to other people without my help? Yes. But that's scary because we want to be sure that he only speaks to me and everybody who agrees with me and everybody else is in a whole other circle. And let's not let those touch, let alone overlap. That's too scary. That's too weird. But we've got to live with clear intention. Would you say that out loud? And by, by this clear intention, we're talking about God's intention. We've got to in, on purpose do this or we will naturally separate. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to guide us because naturally we're going to separate. We're going to get off course. We're not going to follow God's dream on our own. We need to constantly listen to the Spirit. But we're going to follow Him. We're going to move. He's going to lead us somewhere. Let's say this out loud together. We will live with clear intention. Because here's the truth. Church happens where all three of these circles intersect. Church happens where God and you and others mix together. And that little white rounded triangle looking thing in the middle, that's church. Is that starting to make a little bit of sense? And if we remember that, every time we start pulling apart in any direction, every time we start hiding in a hole or a casket of our own heart, and for whatever reason, if we remind ourselves of that, that's where God's going to get the most work done. That's where growth is going to happen. We're constantly interacting with each other and people on the outside of God's family and with God himself. That's where the growth happens. That's where the real good stuff happens. And this has been the way God has operated since the very beginning. You go back to Genesis. You see the creation story. You see John's version of it in John chapter 1. Let's just look at this. Watch. You see God the Father, God the Son. John calls him the Word in this passage. You see the Spirit. You see all of them working together as one. I'm just going to read them. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. Nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created. And His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Notice what's happening here. Three in one, nonstop. And they're not stagnant. They're moving. They're doing something. They're creating. They're bringing light into darkness. They're bringing order into chaos. And they're breeding new people into the situation. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Because God is relational. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. If you've ever been to any marriage seminar ever, you're going to see that triangle, which is the same three circles we're talking about. There's God, there's the man, there's the woman. As they draw closer to each other and to God, everybody gets closer and the whole thing works better. 
It's the same idea. It's the same concept. It's how he designed the whole thing. All relationships. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. And God looked over all he had made. He saw that it was very good. And evening passed. Morning came, marking the sixth day. Before God was able to rest, before he was able to find that peace, even for one day, that peace, the fruit of the Spirit kind of peace that means the complexity has been united. It's been fixed. What was broken has been made whole. What was chaotic has brought some order. Where there was darkness, there's light. There's a rhythm. There's something happening now. And we're all doing this together. He had to not only create the, the universe and the amazing stuff in this planet, but also people to share it with and to work with. Because he's that kind of a God. It's so clear even when Jesus gives the great commission. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Who gave him that authority? God the Father, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Who's he including in this now? All of his followers. Go into all the, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Somebody reminded me this week that word is singular, name. There's one God, even though there's three. If you can ever 100% get your brain around it, you're either in heaven already or you're lying. It doesn't work, but it's consistent. There's one God, but there's three parts of him. There's one church, and it's at that intersection of all of these circles. And confusing, weird, however crazy that is, it's always his plan. It's the glasses we've got to see everything through. He goes on, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. That triangle, that, those three circles, it moves. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. In, I'm sorry, even to the end of the age. And how is he with us? Through the, through the Spirit. All of it's tied together. We're part of it. And we're all going somewhere. We're doing something together. It's not just existing together. Acts chapter 2 is one of the most fundamental earth-shaking chapters in the Bible. It's where after Jesus gave this commission, went back up to heaven, they waited as he told them to for a little over a week, and then at the day of Pentecost, they started the church. The Holy Spirit came in a massive, powerful, tangible way and empowered them to speak in several different languages. Everybody who was there that day heard God's word in their own heart language. Everybody was there. 3,000 responded. And this was, Peter, if you remember, was the guy who, when they first said, so what do we do? They had the first altar call. We're about to have one here in a second. And the very first one, they said, so what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins can be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people came forward that day. Wouldn't that be amazing? That'd be so cool. They all got baptized. They all started the church. They all started obeying all the things that God had commanded them. And because of that, there's still a church today. But a very pivotal chapter. It's almost just as pivotal. And almost none of us would be here today if it wasn't for that chapter. Is Acts chapter 10. 
Because just a couple chapters later, Peter himself and several others had totally forgotten that God said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. And they were getting really comfortable just being Christian Jews. They were starting to get really wrapped up again into all of the Jewish law. And you can't really, you can't really uh, follow Jesus and not be a Jew. You can't really follow Jesus without all these laws. And look how much more meaningful these laws are now that we understand they all point to Jesus. And they're forgetting that there's a whole world out there. And meanwhile, there's a whole bunch of people that haven't heard about Jesus yet that are still seeking God. One of those is a guy named Cornelius. Again, this is Acts 10. You should read the whole chapter later on today. Just pour over it. Let the Spirit speak to you. But this guy is a Gentile. He's not, he's not a Jew. He hasn't even heard about Jesus yet. But he has heard about God. And every single thing he does understand, he's doing. Every single thing he understands. He's, he's as best as he possibly can following what he knows. That's important. That attitude, that posture, that humility, that courage is always how we've got to approach God and other people. He's taking care of the poor. He's doing all these things that God cares about. But God knows he, went, he needs to have Jesus too. Meanwhile, Peter is meditating on top of a roof, thinking everything is really good. But what God does is he sends an angel to Cornelius. He sends a vision to Peter. And he orchestrates it so that they're going to work together. And the vision that Peter got was all about, you need to be more open to the Gentiles. You need to be able to cross that circle barrier. You've got to start doing that again. And I'm going to make it clear how to start. And he told Cornelius, you need to go get a guy named Peter. I'll tell you where to find him. And then Cornelius and his servants, there's this amazing thing that happens because they get to the house just after Peter finishes seeing these visions. And Peter comes down and welcomes these unclean Gentiles into the home he's staying in. And he eats with them. Not supposed to do that. But he knows he is now. He remembers. Maybe he remembers going to Samaria and Jesus hanging out with a Samaritan woman. And then all of them staying there for how many days? Do you remember? Three days. There's threes everywhere. Maybe all of this starts making sense to him again. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe he forgot, because sometimes we do, and he was a human being as well. But Cornelius welcomes him into his home. They bring Peter back. And when they get there, Peter sees Cornelius, and he realizes God knows this guy, and this guy knows God without my help. How? Verse 34 and 35, then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Watch what happens next. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Here's one of those moments in the Bible where it freaks almost everybody out. Because some people are raised in a church that teaches the Holy Spirit doesn't do miracles anymore. He just doesn't. There's no speaking in tongues, not a secret prayer language, not being able to magically speak Spanish or Russian or whatever language you'd need. It just doesn't happen anymore. 
But you see the Spirit doing stuff like this in the Scriptures. And we go, wait, 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 what? Hold on. Let's draw those circle lines a little deeper. And other people have been taught that you can't, you can't, the Holy Spirit only comes when you're baptized. He can't interact with anybody unless you've been baptized first. And some people are saying, oh no, the baptism isn't enough. You need a whole nother baptism on top of that. Peter is freaking out too. Because he's going, maybe the spirit is bigger than any of the boxes I try to put him in. I mean, Peter is the guy who said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, so that your sins can be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm pretty sure he knows that's God's plan, right? I think he knows that. But he's seeing with his own eyes that God is bigger than any box he could ever put him in, even if it's a box God gave him. Then Peter asks, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they've received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why just Jesus Christ? Because they already knew God the Father. And they already knew God the Spirit. Somehow, this is the only place in the whole Bible where this happens this way. But he goes, but I was sent here to tell you about Jesus. And you still need to be baptized. That's still part of God's new plan, this new plan that we're doing. We're going to complete, all three circles are going to come together. Peter is changed. They are changed. God's not changed, but he sure is a lot happier at the end of that day. It's massive. And you know what? This was the beginning of the church expanding exponentially into the Gentile world. And I don't know about you. If some of you have Jewish heritage, praise God, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. But most of us are Gentiles. We wouldn't know Jesus if it wasn't for this happening. Afterwards, Cornelius asked him to stay there for several days. Gentile home, but now they're brothers. One more time. We're going to wrap up here this morning. As we dig deeper in the next three weeks into all three of these directions, please, more than ever before in your life, please let the Holy Spirit speak this into your heart. All three directions have to happen at once or it's not church. Church happens where all three strands interact. Church happens where we interact with God and with others. And on that, that scary, bumpy, sparks flying, terrible noises sometimes spot where it all comes together. That's church. It's not meant to be comfortable. It's not meant to be safe. It's meant to make us grow. It's meant to change the world. And this is where we're heading. If you haven't ever noticed, our church logo has those three circles at the beginning and that little triangle in the middle, and it's a bird that's flying. Hopefully that'll make a whole lot more sense as we go as well. But here we go. Today, let's just commit this as we have our invitation time as we always do. I, I encourage you to take a step in one of those directions as the Holy Spirit leads you. Maybe this morning you need to take a step toward God. All three have to happen, but maybe what he's calling you is to get things right with God. Maybe you're okay with the people around you, but that's not enough. Maybe he needs you to work something out with somebody else who's a Christian, somebody a fellow believer, but you've drawn some walls in between you and that fellow believer. Maybe he's convicting you that those walls have to go. Take a step in that direction. Maybe you're really comfortable with God and other believers, but you're not willing to cross any lines at all to reach people that you consider an insider. 
take a step this morning in that direction. Because we're going to live, if we're going to survive, if we're going to thrive, if we're going to accomplish God's will on this planet, we are going to live with humility and with courage and with clear intention in all three of these circles at the same time. And anything less is not God's will. And anything in that is. God bless you. Make any choice you need to make as we stand and as we sing together.